Hi, this is J. David Osborne, the author of By the Time We Leave Here, We'll Be Friends, and Ask Goblin Enthusiast, and you are listening to Booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Uh, tonight, we're going to bring you a little bit something different, our first of the year. We're doing an author interview with uh, Cameron Pierce. Uh, here's a little bit about Cameron from... Yeah, I don't really know where we got this bio from. I think we pulled it from his website. Cameron Pierce's work has been praised by The Guardian, Crack.com, Details Magazine, Lloyd Kaufman, New York Times bestselling authors Piers Anthony and John Skip, S.G. Brown, Carlton Mellick III, SF Site, and New Times, along with many others. His fiction and poetry has appeared in The Barcelona Review, The Bizarro Starter Kit, Purple, The Pedestal Magazine, The Nervous Breakdown, Verbicide, Christmas on Crack, Bust Down the Door and Eat All the Chickens, maybe one of the better uh, uh, zines I've heard a title for, The Dream People, Mnemonymous, which I, wow, got that right. Mm-hmm. The Magazine of Bizarro Fiction, Everyday Genius, Barebone, Avant-Garde for the New Millennium, Kill Author, The Horror Library, Volume 2, MetaZen, Thieves Jargon, and Beckett Football Monthly, when he was eight. <laughs> That's awesome. That's like say deer lo- and deer hunting. A lot, of, a lot of the guests we have on, it's kind of, you know, they're very similar, so they'll have some overlap in some of the the magazines anthologies they were published in other than the nervous breakdown this has zero crossover i think with anybody we've ever had on the show that i'm aware of yeah that's a pretty unique places he's uh he's we're gonna have to ask him about bust down the door and eat all the chickens yeah yeah for sure so uh so here it is our bonus episode a bonus episode too it's like the 10th of january we're throwing out bonus episodes this is so awesome yeah yep absolutely we're we're just kicking in we're kicking off 2013 um just just with a with a vengeance we've already had this is like we're not even halfway through the first month and we've already had two really awesome authors on the show we'll have had two awesome authors on the show all right before we bring cameron pierce on just a little note uh the call quality that we had when we spoke with him was not as good as we had hoped for so there's going to be some words you don't hear quite so well it's just going to go in and out a little bit for the most part you can hear everything he says it's just going to not be the super exquisite quality that we typically have um excellent interview anyway just uh just be warned it is a skype call so there is a little bit of call fidelity issue from time to time cameron welcome to booked Thanks for having me here. Hey, yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, I did have a, a question ready that was like the, the prepared question. That's our first question. But okay. I'm going to go off script a little bit. Uh, didn't you guys just like redo your entryway or something? I, I kept seeing pictures of like, you know, couches and flooring and stuff. Was that that was Lazy Fascist, right? Uh, that's the new Eraser and Press offices. Ah, gotcha. The past couple of years, uh, we've been in offices in northwest Portland. Uh, but there were up to six of us working there time in two really small offices and one larger one but ultimately we needed to expand and needed more room and, and the company's grown so much in the past two or three years um, we felt we needed more professional grown-up office spaces so we moved a little further into the industrial section of 
northwest Portland and decided to lay new floors and put in new couches. And, and uh, so we've got one space where the five of us who are working there now uh, work. And then there's a second space, which is more of like the eraser head lounge with couches, uh, large flat screen television, uh, a bar is coming in there soon. And that's more of like our hanging space uh, for when we have our company Christmas party, things like that. It looks very, very cozy. Rob, that sounds just like our setup. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's uh, you're thinking of the Starbucks that's about halfway in between our yeah, that's Yeah, yeah that's what, I guess <laughs> what I was thinking of. <laughs> Um, all right, and now the actual question I was supposed to ask you first. I, I, I totally threw this whole thing off. Um, so you are the editor at Lazy Fascist, which is an imprint of Eraserhead. Um, now, Eraserhead's pretty much bizarro, right? Uh, yeah, Eraserhead's like, all bizarro. Solidly bizarro. Yeah. But Lazy Fascist has some other books, like you know, like the Stephen Graham Jones books you guys have put out lately, and that and Broken Piano for President, um, which, is, which seem like they're not so specifically bizarro what what kind of what kind of books is lazy fascist usually print okay so lazy fascist is looking for books that readers of bizarro fiction will appreciate uh books that will hopefully challenge their notion of what literature can be uh and i'm hoping for that from all the books uh books that are too offbeat for the mainstream literary publishers uh not cookie cutter enough or commercial enough for some of the larger genre imprints, uh, things that could only come out of the small press. Um, but I don't want to have the small press attitude that I often see where uh, sales and, and money don't matter, because ultimately they do. If you want to run a successful business, which a publishing house is, then you've got to move books. So my intent with Lazy Fascist is to prove that weird experimental fiction can sell. Well, certainly the three books that Rob mentioned, um, The Last Final Girl, Zombie Bake Off, and Broken Piano for President, were all very well enjoyed at this end. And I kind of like that that maybe you guys do kind of a middle ground. It's almost like the, the really good kind of weird stuff that doesn't have a home anywhere else, and therefore it now has a home, if that makes sense. Like yeah. you've given it a category by collecting stuff that doesn't necessarily have a category. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm hoping to do. Yeah, good job so far. Yeah, and th- I mean those are just like examples that we've talked about on the, the podcast. Obviously, there's other stuff too. Like, um, uh, there's a huge there's a huge amount of titles that you guys have, right? Yeah, uh, Sam Pink's work is uh, hugely popular, but at this time, I don't necessarily see larger publishers picking them up. Not because of the quality of the work, but because they're going to see these highly minimalistic, strange, aggressive really short books and and have no idea how to sell them um, but it doesn't mean the readers aren't there so uh fortunately i'm in a, I'm a in a position where i can take a risk on things like that you brought up maybe not intentionally kind of an interesting point i've been thinking about this a lot lately as we read you know non big five presses yeah it, it occurs to me that there's not really a lot of place in the big big you know like you said kind of cookie cutter commercial market for books that are like one to 200 pages. I mean, I'm thinking of what's on Barnes and Noble shelves and the vast majority of what you find on that table. It's like, if it doesn't, if it's not 300 pages, like it's not worth their time. Do you find that that's, that's true? Yeah. I mean, there have been great short books published by major publishers, but in general, that market demands, you know, books of 
80,000 to 100,000 words or more. Um, and that's totally great. I respect and admire what the big publishers are able to do. They're, their means are far beyond ours, and they publish some of the best books of, well, ever. Um, but I personally love shorter books. I've always loved novellas, and whenever I'm trying to get into an author, I'll often, you know, I'll, I'll examine their entire bibliography and I'll look for this weird offbeat book that was received uh, not necessarily positively by book critics. I'll tell you what, um, now, that you, now that we're like, we're, we're, we're kissing the, the short books ass. Uh, I, <laughs> this summer we went to, to LA to, for, for a, for a trip with a bunch of people. And um, I was kind of planning out in advance what I was going to read on the plane. Cause this is about four hour, you know, flight. And uh, in preparation, I grabbed uh, two Bradley Sands books. I grabbed Sorry I Ruined Your Orgy and Rico Slade Will Fucking Kill You because I knew that they were like kind of that sweet spot where I could probably just knock one or two out, you know, uh, during the flight one way or the other. And it was just perfect. It was just perfect. That's one thing I love, too, about short books. They're great for flights, but I know in any city I'm at, I'm going to be buying new books. So... If I decide to bring a, a chunky book with me, which is it's top anyway in terms of limited luggage space, uh, I, I might be halfway through that book, and then I'm suddenly buying a lot of new books, and suddenly I have no idea what I'm going to be reading. So, yeah, I like short books. You can finish them in a brief amount of time, and then move on to something else, or maybe revisit those works if you like them enough. Very good point. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, about your writing. So we talked a little bit about what Lazy Fascist is looking for. Um, how would you classify your own writing? Uh, so I'm published by Eraserhead Press, and I'm a Bizarro fiction author. I originally came to Eraserhead and Bizarro uh, when I was still in high school. I was influenced by H.P. Lovecraft and Surrealist and Precursors of the Surrealist, like Andre Breton, Lutramon, Gerard de Nerval, uh, initially Charles Baudelaire. Uh, and writing works that were influenced by traditional American 20th century weird fiction, but also this really messed up from you know, Europe around the same time or earlier, I was having trouble finding any publications that really blended those two until I came across The Dream People, which had originally been established by Carl Mellick, then it moved on to John Edward Lawson, who is now one of the uh, main people behind Rodog Screen Press, and now D. Harlan Wills and another bizarre author runs the Screen People, which is still one of my favorite web journals. Um, and the first piece I submitted to the Dream People was accepted. That was my first acceptance. And from there, I got more and more involved in the bizarre community. Uh, and eventually, I was offered a book deal uh, after a period where Carlton Malthus, who had the godfather of bizarre fiction, uh, mentored me through my first book, *Running Paradise Garden*. So we had done a an intro to Bizarro. God, a year ago now, um, where uh, we spent an hour learning about Bizarro. <laughs> so you kind of told us where he came from and stuff. But if you had to give someone like a real short, you know, three four sentence definition of Bizarro, what would that be? Uh, well, the easiest way to describe it is the cult section. Of that video store, but video stores don't really exist anymore. <laughs> I'd say it's 
it's a weird fucked up fun stuff that, that you love as a kid but that kind of vanishes uh, when you enter the adult world and suddenly everything is serious and you know, buildings are great they're long and colorful books have to be you know, about lives and human life and a lot of it is but it's uh, depicted in a different way and it's not straightforward metaphor or symbolism but uh, yeah that's fair I think that's pretty close to uh I mean, a lot of the stuff that J. David Osborne said when he came on, especially that like uh, that cult section in the video store thing, which he then corrected himself. I listened to the episode earlier today. That's why it's so fresh in my mind. Uh, he corrected himself and said that it's your cult section of your Netflix. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be it. I should have gotten him. <laughs> now, one of our uh, listeners, when he, because we, we on our previous episode said we were going to have you on, um, he heard that you were going to be on, and he had this to say. I'm not really sure exactly what this means, so maybe you can help us out with this. He said, stoked for Cameron Pierce. I hope like hell he discusses killer alien pastry people in paranoid tones. Any idea? <laughs> you know, uh, it's a common experience for me that people bring up situations as the things that I did uh, involving things like that, and I don't remember them, so... I wish I could talk about that one. It's probably related to something I've said or done or written, but I don't remember. I've never <laughs> Well, this was uh, his name's Frank Edler. We we've mentioned him a couple times on our podcast, and I think he's pretty active in the what's it, the Bizarro Brigade. I think it's called, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's pretty tuned into the Bizarro community, and yeah, I don't blame you for not knowing. He he's. Uh, when when we first met, no, uh, announced that we were going to do a, an intro to Bizarro episode, he sent me a message on Facebook that had to be like three like you know written pages long. He was just so excited, and he's like, "You could talk about this, and you could talk about this." It was very very enthusiastic. Awesome. Um, you know, it's funny that you say that. We we recently had um, a longtime friend of the show hadn't been on the show, Craig Wallwork, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you writers like I, you obviously kind of touched on it, but. It's like you read something and you love someone's writing and you have to say, like, you remember it and you have this idea of it and you talk to the author about it and they're like, yeah, I don't really remember. It's just kind of like a weird, I don't know if sometimes writers get how much some of the writing means to people that they remember the smallest things. Because to you, it's like you write and you love what you write and you write a lot and, you know, it's kind of like a job. So you've got some throwaway line that somebody loves or whatever. It's kind of cool, I think, that there are people out there that can remember these weird little things. So, Yeah, and it always means a lot to hear about that. Um, mm-hmm. I unfortunately have a bad memory. I wish it was better. <laughs> uh, I've got a actually, My wife and I are staying with uh, in Beverly Hills right now, and he's just got the, the greatest memory. We, we can watch a movie, and then he can recite almost every line immediately after watching it and i hardly remember the first act so <laughs> um i think the other thing about it is too that like when you write something you have no idea what's going to resonate with people and there's so many different people that are going to like different things that like yeah. you know something that is a throwaway or, or meaningless or just very incidental to what you were writing could be the most profound thing for someone and there's no way you, for you to know that ahead of time mm-hmm. yeah i find that what works best in the world that resonate with the most people is things that 
I'm writing about like either situations in my life that recur again and again, and those things, and things that I'm compelled the most to get down on paper, and not necessarily I either. And, and the weird stuff always creeps in. I can't help that. Um, <laughs> even when I've tried, or I've been like, oh, well, here's here's a more mainstream, normal word, and then people read it and and get upset. And they're like, this is fucking weird. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, that happened recently. I, I had someone. Uh, tell me the story of mine the de- called The Depressed Man, uh, Verbis published it originally. Uh, and it's just about a depressed man wandering by the grocery store for the most part. But, but uh, yeah, this guy told me you know, that kind of broke the ice for him. And he'd been in the exact same situation uh, when he wrote, read this story. And it, it really just brought him out of that shell uh, of being a depressed man wandering the grocery store, which I wrote about because that's where I had been for a while when I wrote it, and also because I like grocery stores. <laughs> awesome. All right, speaking a little bit about uh, about the odd in your fiction, um, you have some very, very interesting titles. So for anybody that's not familiar, I'm, I'm going to read a few of them. Um, it looks like one of the more recent ones is Die You Donut Bastards, um, Lost in Cat Brain Land, Ass Goblins of Auschwitz, The Pickled Apocalypse of Pancake Island. How do you come up with some of these titles? Uh, each book is a different item. Uh, let's see, Ask Goblins of Auschwitz, I don't know where that came from. Uh, that's usually my most popular book, uh, but I don't remember where the title came from at all. Uh, uh, Die You Donut Bastard, that, uh, I've been searching through a, a compendium of zombie films. And I was looking at the titles and looking, looking for days there through poetry collections, through anything, trying to find titles that I could play with. And I found a Daddy Zombie Bastard. And I was looking at zombies and it's like, there's got to be something besides zombies. And I love donuts. So I went with donuts. I spent a long time writing <laughs> in donut shops a couple of years ago. So. <laughs> in general, I think that's one of the. Uh the I, I don't want to say currency but it's one of the things that bizarro has that's like in its favor is that the titles are just like very very eye grabbing um and i think it's just because like you have some more of those out there elements so that you you know you can just kind of reach a little farther with your titles i guess if that makes sense i don't know if that makes sense Cameron, I know that you talked probably ad nauseum about this, and it's been a little while now, but uh, Broken Piano for President. Now that some time has passed, um, reflections on, on how that whole little bit went down with the, with the folks at Jack Daniels? Uh, that was an exciting time. I hadn't expected to spend uh, a good month or so focusing on uh, media books like that this year, although I had told so many people for a long time that Patrick Wensink was going to be uh, big, and I, I didn't know how or when or why, but uh, it was a blend of his talent, his originality, uh, his personality, and his drive to be successful. So it's, it's quite funny, but also fitting, I mean, Patrick, uh, that it all came about due to a cease and desist letter. Uh, but <laughs> Yeah, it's it was great then, and it's been great now. Uh, we've gotten to pair up with Bull Run Distilling Inc., uh, an award-winning distillery in Portland, Oregon. And so the books were sale there, um, and those guys are great. We might be putting a limited edition of Broken Piano for President. It'll be 
a hardcover blast case. So there will be the book cover and the book pages, but you won't be able to read it because the middle will be cut out and it'll hold a blast. Um, not sure yet if we're going to be able to do that, but hoping to. So that'd be a really great limited version of the book. Um, so it's, it's opened a lot of doors for us and opened doors for Patrick and excited for the thing we're doing together in the future. Uh, but it was also eye-opening in a lot of ways in terms of uh, why people will cover something. Um, you know, when it's just a book, uh, for the most part, most people don't want to know because most people don't care about books. Uh, but if you spin an interesting story, they'll buy the book regardless. We had people commenting on, on all the various blogs and, and news books that were covering this story. They were buying the book to show support for Jack Daniels. They had no idea who the author was, <laughs> no idea who the publisher was, and they were to support Jack Daniels, so they bought the book. And uh, fortunately, some of those people uh, read the book, and we've heard from them since, so they've written reviews, and they were surprised to actually really love the book. Um, that I'm, I'm happy about. Uh, but I also know that for future books from now on, uh, my plan is, is to spin a story. Whatever story you can have, anything not book-related, that's been kind of my goal for a while with any promotion, to get away from the book and tell a story because you've got to have as much creativity or more. Uh-oh. So, basically, I've got some creative amazing, brilliant authors on the roster who are very happy doing that. Um, yeah, that was going to be my follow-up was a little bit about like the press focusing not so much on the content, but like more of the scandal. And um, <laughs> from our perspective, we, we intended to, to review the book anyway. So um, we're like, hey, we talk about books all the time. You guys are kind of stealing our shit. But they weren't talking about the book, which the story is awesome. And so we were a little bit offended and we, I assume that was what, what you felt too. So it's, it's nice to hear that, that even though the coverage wasn't what you would have expected, it was still a good thing. No, I don't feel offended or, or hurt by it at all. It's exactly what I would expect. Uh, to promote the, the new edition of Broken Hand, we actually hired a PR agent uh, to take over. Because Patrick and I were a little burned out on, on promotions at that point, mm-hmm. and it was a good opportunity to experiment and see what a PR person's going to do for you. And so I we uh, I was involved uh, in crafting the the uh, the letter that she was sending to media outlets, and it was fascinating that uh, even then, and in, in in many of the letters we were sending out before. Uh, any coverage, they would always cut out publisher, um, which I was curious about before, and I saw that that happened again, even when, when she was mentioning that, talking about the publisher, and I think that has to do with uh, think a trend I've seen in all articles talking about books recently in the, in the whole self-publishing versus uh, big five debates that go on. Uh, they cut out the entire middle of independent publishers. Uh, that's not part of the dichotomy in terms of people arguing about which one is right, which it's, it's not black and white like that because the big publishers are doing great things. A couple people within self-publishing community are doing good things, and there are many great independent publishers. It's 
their whole spectrum, but that's never how it's discussed. Yeah, and the thing that we can we've come across in doing this podcast for a while now and talking to people is that I think only independent publishers actually get a loyal following for the publishing house. No one goes out and buys a book because it's Simon and Schuster, but there are probably people who are very receptive to buying a lazy fascist title simply because you guys have, you know, put your stamp of approval on it or made a summer publication or, or any other, you know, great independent publisher. So I know I have looked at and or purchased titles based on an indie publisher, but I've never walked in and, and you know, and said, oh, look, this is by <laughs> Doubleday. You know, I, I've got to get this. So That's true. I, I, the same way. Yeah, there are certain indie presses that I know if I get a book from them, it's going to be interesting and quality work. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would never do that for a larger publisher. All right, so <laughs> getting a little more casual in conversation. Uh, it sounds like, uh, from what we understand, you spent the day writing at Venice Beach. Uh, what is it that you're currently working on? Oh, I, I canceled that. Plan. Uh, I had a rehearsal last night. On Sunday, I'm taking part in a Cthulhu prayer breakfast aboard the Queen Mary in Long Beach. And after last night's rehearsal, I had a number of things I needed to do to prepare for that. So scratch the writing plans in order to prepare for this performance. <laughs> All right. There are probably very few things you could have said that I would have accepted <laughs> as a suitable like replacement for. So what are you working on right now? But uh, can you repeat exactly what you're doing on Sunday one more time for people who didn't uh, catch it? Cthulhu Prayer Breakfast. It's put on by... Cody Goodfellow and a few other Lovecraftian writers. And it's a breakfast mock ceremony involving uh, Lovecraft performances, a, a whole sermon. Uh, there's going to be live music from the Slow Poisoner while people enjoy their breakfast aboard the Queen Mary. <laughs> that sounds awesome. How much cooler does that sound than what you and I are doing on Sunday, Rob? Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. I was thinking, too, because, like, uh, I saw, I think you posted on Facebook at some point today. You've got, like, four different events you got going on while you're while you're visiting California, right? Yeah, four. So, you know, uh, tomorrow night, reading a story book in Cafe on West Sunset with Ben Laurie, Amelia Gray, uh, Ken Bauman, uh, Eric Raymond, and Kirsten Aileen, who's my wife and also a bizarre author. Uh, next night, we're reading at Hyena Gallery in Burbank, uh, which is probably my favorite art gallery in the whole world, and really excited for that. And then we're doing the Cthulhu Prayer Breakfast, and then a couple weeks from now, we are reading at the 851 Squatch uh, in San Francisco, which is a squat that has been commandeered and transformed into an occasional party spot slash uh, reading series. Wow. All I'm going to say is that Livius and I earlier this year went to L.A. for, for about eight days. We did it wrong because <laughs> we went there thinking, oh, we're going to hang out with all these cool people we never get to see. We're going to do a lot of cool projects and stuff. And it was basically like six days of sitting by the pool talking and like <laughs> a couple days of actual like creative collaboration. Yeah, it's been good so far. And it's great to get out of the rain and the cold and, and in the sun and actually feel the warmth of the sun for the first time in a while <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm happy about it and happy that we get to do all these things with people i really respect and admire that sounds very cool it sounds like a like a very action-packed um and very cool week four days five days however long that is 
Um, so what's next? What's coming up next from Lazy Fascist? Uh, at the end of the month, so at the end of the month, going to the printer, uh, we've got Rontel by Sam Pink. Uh, we're doing the trade paperback. Electric Literature is published in ebook. Uh, we're also publishing Humble Assessment by Chris Sackmason, Colony Collapse by J.A. Tyler, and uh, separate from that, but another book that I'm behind is One in Wonder, which is an anthology edited by, edited by Evan Philippek of Here's Anthony's Favorite Golden Age Science Fiction Story. So that contains stories by Isaac Asimov, Theodore Sturgeon, and a bunch of other legendary sci-fi writers. Wow. Right. And what about you personally? What can we expect to see next from Cameron Pierce? This week I'll be beginning work on a novel titled Leprechaun in the Hood, the musical, a novel. <laughs> uh, I, I can't say whether or not that will ever see the light of day, but uh, I've got my fingers crossed for that one. So I'm going to start writing it regardless what kind of interest i can get in it very cool um so before we wrap it up and let you get back to your 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 fun in california anything you want to uh pimp or, or mention that maybe we haven't brought up already i just highly recommend if anyone is interested in checking out bizarro or seeing the, the wider scope of it to pick up the best bizarro fiction of the decade i spent two years compiling this anthology it just came out a couple months ago it contains stories by amy bender Blake Butler, Stephen Graham Jones, Joe R. Lansdale, Bentley Little, Tom Piccarelli, Carlton Alex III, Chris Dackinson, Jeremy Robert Johnson, uh, and and 20 other writers. We've actually... So, I'm sorry, didn't interrupt you. Oh, no worries. Yeah, I think there's 35, 36 writers total in there. Yeah, we've actually... Uh... Uh, seen a lot of good talk about that. It sounds like it's pretty much just like an epic tome. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I don't know what the total word count on that was, but yeah, it's a, it's a scary long book. That that may have to be the next thing. I just finished reading um, Angel Dust Apocalypse, or at least I finished reading the, the actual fiction short story parts. And, and, you know, I got to tell you, it ruined like four or five lunches for me reading it. But I'm thinking some more bizarro short fiction might be in my future there for for the nice little tidbits that I can read, you know, 20 minutes at a time. So that may be uh, that may be one of my next pickups. Did you have you read Jeremy's new collection yet? We live inside you. Yes, yeah. We, yeah, we, actually, we read that for the show. Yeah, a while ago. Actually, yeah, so you read that first and then went back to Angel Dust. Awesome. Yeah, I love both. Of those. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Uh, and then we had Jeremy on. He's a really nice dude. Just a nice guy. He's one of my favorite people. Oh, Rob. Tremblay, what did Tremblay have to say about Mr. Oh, yeah. Oh, is Tremblay? We we mentioned that uh, we were going to have Cameron Pierce on, and he said, "Cameron Pierce, that guy owes me money." I don't call Tremblay money. <laughs> uh, these are these are claims he made on our podcast. We we can't authenticate them. We don't know, but we yeah. told him we'd definitely try to collect. So okay, all right, okay. So this is a whole debt collection here. I get what it is. Okay. <laughs> it's a well, it's a ruse. This whole like 30, 40 minutes we've been talking. It was just yeah. to be like, it was the <laughs> passive aggressive way of 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 collecting on a on a debt. Oh, uh, I have to email him and find out if I owe him money. My knowledge, I don't. 
but maybe I invent something stupid. <laughs> I, you know what? And, and, and <laughs> I have to confess, when he said that you owed him money, I figured, you know, I assumed it was probably just a joke, but I was like, you know, he's going to be, I believe he's going to be in uh, Boston for AWP. And Livius is like, shh, we weren't supposed to say. <laughs> so so look out look out for Tremblay if you owe him like 20 bucks he's going to be on the lookout for you <laughs> uh, so Cameron where's the best place to for people to find you and more about you online um, I would probably say bizarrocentral.com and lazyfascistpress.com cool very good uh, but I, I interact most on Facebook I, I don't use Twitter much. I'm actually locked out of my Twitter account right now. They changed my password, but they won't let me change it back. So I'm confused about Twitter. But yeah, find me on Facebook. Uh, talk to me on there. Feel free to email me or anything else. But you just want to follow things and those two websites are the best. Very cool. And listeners of our podcast, Cameron Pierce is a part of the Booked Podcast listening group. So I think if you reach out to him on there, he will at least see it. I want to say too that. You're you're very uh, in, you interact with us a lot on uh, you're you're very supportive of the podcast. So I want to thank you for that. You've always been quick to to like a thing or, or share a thing. So I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. I like what you guys are doing. You're one of the most active and interesting podcasts going right now. So keep it up. Thank you. <laughs> if anybody can't hear that, I'm patting myself on the back right now. <laughs> <laughs> well uh cameron thanks so much for coming on and spending some time with us i'm glad after all this time we've known you we finally got to to spend some time talking to you absolutely so thanks for having me and yeah i hope to meet you guys in person sometime i don't owe you money though <laughs> not yet <laughs> not yet all right everybody that was our first Official interview of the year, Cameron Pierce. As you heard, you can find uh, Cameron more about Cameron at bizarrocentral.com, lazyfascist.com. But hit him up on Facebook, you know, because Facebook is where we talk to everybody. It's worked out really well for us. That's right. As I shamelessly said, he is a <laughs> member of the booked podcast listening group. So. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you at least acknowledged that because that was like the least tactful. <laughs> I. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a whore at my core, so... Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's topical, because the people are listening to us, obviously. First and foremost, are listeners of the podcast, so that's probably the most realistical next... Realistical? That's not a word. Realistic next step. Anyway, it made sense in my mind, but yeah, it is kind of a whorey thing to do. So, book podcast <laughs> listening group on Facebook. Cameron Pierce <laughs> on Facebook. Um, everything on Facebook. You know, we're not even going to mention anything else. We just want to talk about Facebook. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> can I mention one other thing though? While we're on the Bizarro subject, I kind of touched on this a little bit during uh, during the course of the interview. But I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that in between uh, podcast books, I was reading Angel Dust Apocalypse. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, dude, you got to read it. Everybody needs to read this. So Were you doing it on Liv's lunches? I was doing it on Liv's lunches, which is a terrible, terrible <laughs> idea, by the way, because some of these stories are a little bit stomach turning, but. Um, all in all, I mean, it completely lives up to the stuff from We Live Inside You, even though it's uh, dated and it's probably about 10 years old. Um, it certainly doesn't feel that way when you read it. So there's some really, really good stuff there. I'm into like the bonus content. There's uh, the stuff that he added that's new to this is some interviews and stuff at the end. So that's lunch tomorrow. I don't think that's going to cause me to put my sandwich down like some of these other stories did. But you definitely want to check this out. And it's like dirt cheap. Pick it up as an ebook. I think it's like three bucks. Can't beat that. 
You can have your own. You can lose your lunches. Like losing lives lunches. I think is what. We're it's like a that. goddamn diet plan. Reading some of these stories. <laughs> like I don't need the rest of this cheeseburger. I just read this horrible story about a worm crawling up through a guy's leg. So. <laughs> oh, sounds wonderful. Yeah, do check it out seriously. What do we got coming up next uh, on our next episode? This, as we mentioned before, is a bonus episode. We're kind of dropping it uh, we're, as an extra. So uh, there's kind of two we got going on this week. Yeah. So this was uh, this is the officially the bonus episode. Our next one, as uh, listeners might remember, Matthew McBride expressed and maybe even discussed with 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 us with the podcast for not having read Hell on Church Street. So he had said. If you guys read this, I'm going to get you copies. Well, he made good, and he got it for us. And what did we have to do then? Well, hell, we said we'd read it. We didn't think he was actually going to get us copies of it. Well, we read it. So that's going to be our next episode. It's coming up in just a couple days. That's right. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Um, man, I have absolutely nothing else to say. <laughs> that's new. You don't want to talk about shoes <laughs> or New Year's no. resolutions? No? No. Nothing? No, no. Not thankful for anything. The only thing I'm thankful for this week is Cameron Pierce being an awesome guest. He was awesome. He had some really, really good stuff to say there. I like that. Yeah, nice, fresh perspective on being an independent press, but still wanting to be like profitable as a business. Dude, Cthulhu Prayer Breakfast is that? Am I? Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah, I think you did. And it's on the Queen Mary, which I don't know if you. It's just this gigantic, like you know, ocean liner kind of boat. That's like permanently docked in Cal in, in in LA. Kind of a weird. I don't know. The whole the whole setting sounds strange. Yeah. <laughs> Just picturing these people. I don't know if this is something they do every year, but I'm kind of picturing like, yeah, we got this party booked for Sunday. It sounds cool. There's gonna be like 150 people or whatever. And then I'm just picturing some of the looks on people's faces that work there, like Sunday, you know, mid morning. <laughs> Like what the hell just happened here? So, but it definitely sounds like fun. Maybe next time we're in LA, maybe we'll have to look into something like that. Do mm, you think so? I don't know. I was really happy in the cabana. I was so gonna probably say, not. Yeah, sitting in the cabana, yeah. ordering food, smuggling booze out there. That's pretty much that's our pace. That's our speed. Yep. So, <laughs> any rate, <laughs> till next time. I'm Livia Snudden, and I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Sinner, do not stray from the straight and narrow way, for the Lord is surely watching what you do. If you approach the devil's den, turn round, don't enter in, lest the hand of the Almighty fall on you. He'll fuck you up. He'll fuck you up. Yes, God will fuck you up if you dare to disobey his turn.